Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey, Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This is Chapter 6 in a temporary reformatting of the show. Amarillo is asking residents to stay home except for essential services and activities like grocery shopping and doctor's appointments. Right now, the city of Amarillo and Texas Tech physicians have set up a drive through testing site at the Tri-State Fairgrounds, and you should call Public Health at 806-378-6300 for pre-screening if you believe you're showing symptoms. As for me, I'm reaching out to members of the community, and I'm doing it over the phone, not in person, to hear what's happening in and around the city due to the impact of the coronavirus. Because there's so much happening right now, I've doubled the frequency of these podcasts, which used to be weekly. So I'm especially grateful for my regular sponsors. Here's one of them. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by Dr. Eddie Sauer, who practices general dentistry at Shimon Dental Group. Eddie has been my dentist for at least 25 years, and he's my kid's dentist too. He's an expert on Invisalign, using that technology to improve his patient's smiles and positioning. And those patients include my son, Owen. Right now, Shimon is open for emergency and urgent patients only to reduce the burden on hospital ER visits. Follow Shimon Dental on Facebook to learn more or visit shimondental.com. That's S-H-E-M-E-N. Now, on to the episode. The release date for this episode is April 6th, but the interviews took place prior to that. Things may have changed by the time you listen. Here's the show. Hi, Amarillo. I'm Vicki Wilmarth, and I'm at the law firm of Wright Wilmarth Bird, and I'm a lawyer who has helped panhandle businesses with their employment law issues for the last 30 years. Usually, I advise employers on um, their personnel policies. I help them with their overtime problems, and I defend them if they get sued for harassment or discrimination. But right now, I'm just trying to help my clients determine if they can afford to keep their employees on or if they're going to have to do a layoff and what are the consequences of those decisions for the employees and for the business. And I know that's something that a lot of employers of various sizes are dealing with right now. And, you know, Vicki, the reason I wanted to talk to you is that this is a moment where a lot of companies are looking at the stimulus loans for businesses, the Paycheck Protection Program. Um, I know a lot of bankers are scrambling to figure that out, um, dealing with loan applications. And so I wanted to talk to you to hear from it, you know, from the legal side, uh, the kinds of things that you're helping walk some of your clients through related to that. So can you kind of tell me, just give me your understanding of the Paycheck Protection Program right now as it stands. And I know it keeps changing, but um, what do you understand right now? It does. Well, the Paycheck Protection Program came out of the CARES Act that was signed uh, one week ago. And it has changed several times even since then. Um, But essentially what it does is um, allow a business to look at two and a half uh, months of their average payroll and get a loan on that. And it's a, a very easy loan to get with very nice terms. Um, and the point of the loan is to keep your employees on, keep paying your employees, keep the same number of employees. Um, and that's supposed to help you out for eight weeks. At the end of the eight weeks, if you've been able to um, keep the same number and keep the pay, um, pay levels the same, 
then you're going to get that loan forgiven 100%. So at that point, it just kind of becomes a government grant. Um, but some of that, you know, sounds easier than it is. Um, you know, can you keep people on? Are people going to quit? Are people going to be sick? You know, there's just a lot of ifs right now. Um, that, but this loan is supposed to help us, you know, tide us over for the eight weeks. And hopefully we'll have a little more certainty after that. I, I know that there are a lot of businesses that are hard hit right now, um, depending on what industry they're, on, they're in, and they are having to let go of employees. There are other businesses that are considered essential, maybe a grocery store, uh, even if it's a small grocery store that is just running crazy. Are these loans appropriate for all of those different businesses, or is the government really wanting to focus on the ones that are in that struggling category? Um, that what they're really trying to do is keep people working. So um, businesses like grocery stores may be able to keep people working without a loan like this because they've got their revenue coming in. They may even have more revenue coming in than usual. Um, but it's the ones who have the revenue has dropped, but they're trying to continue to pay their employees that this is really focused on. So trying not to get, you know, 10 million Americans on the unemployment rolls. You know, that's where we are as of today. So the idea is that um, you, the struggling companies will be able to pay their employees and keep them on for um, a couple of more months. And then after that, we don't know, you know. <laughs> what kinds of things are you advising your clients to do? Are, are you saying, you know, even if you think you might be able to weather this storm, this is this is something you ought to apply for? Or are you advising some to apply and some to consider cash flow? I mean, how does that work? Um, that's a good question. We, What I'm mostly looking at is I've got employers that are looking at two different paths. So some of them are looking at, am I going to have to lay off or furlough or fire my employees? Um, and if that's the case, there are very favorable unemployment benefits out there for employees right now. And for, um, like, the owner of the company, if it's a sole proprietor or something. And then there's other employers who were taken through the steps of, am I going to be able to keep my employees? And if so, they need to know what the legal requirements of that are, like the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, which requires emergency paid leave. They've got to know what other employment laws they ha- they're going to have to follow, like Title Seven and the privacy laws and the OSHA laws that say you have to keep your employees safe. Um, And then they look at these, you know, the stimulus package, and they look at the um, paycheck protection loans or the um, emergency or the economic injury disaster loans. And, you know, there's there's really several steps to this process. Because, you know, with every crisis, you've got obstacles. You know, we've got businesses that are unable to operate at all. Um, And you've got opportunities like these loans or maybe pivoting your business and doing some creative out-of-the-box thinking. But then you've also got obligations for those who are going to keep their employees on. There's a lot of obligations to that. Um, you know, for example, these emergency paid leave acts and making sure that, you know, there's not discrimination in your workplace by somebody making an ethnic comment about Asian Americans right now. Um, and keeping, like if you're taking temperatures of employees, you've got to make sure you're doing that in a private way and that you're not spreading contagion through the thermometer that you're putting on people's foreheads. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we just we really try to help them look at all of those, the obstacles, the opportunities, and the obligations that they've got. Are you hopeful that this is a 
a strategy that will pay off, that this is something that may either sustain these businesses or kickstart the economy, any of the different outcomes, is that something that you think, well, maybe maybe this is the right thing to do? Yes, and and I think all of us needed to know that there was a safety net. Um, for example, in my own law firm, you know, we've got uh, five people on staff, and we needed to know that even if we couldn't have clients come in and have meetings with them and do what we normally do in our law practice, is there a safety net for us to say, okay, we're not going to panic, we're going to keep our employees on for the next two months. And, you know, through a lot of hard work and prayer, you know, keep things going. And I think there's a lot of companies that it was the panic and, you know, when people, when businesses panic, they look at their general ledger and they see that, you know, payroll costs are absolutely the highest thing. So when they're panicking, their first reaction is, hey, I'm going to cut my payroll costs. Yeah. And I think these, these opportunities um, that are coming from the government will help people not make that their first decision. What do you advise, you know, whether these are your your clients or not? I mean, is is the first step for companies that are interested in this, is it to contact their banker? Is it to talk to a lawyer like you? I mean, what what do you suggest? Well, if if they've already talked to a lawyer like me and they know that this is their strategy and, you know, we've worked through all the pros and cons of it, then absolutely they need to talk to their banker and they need to do that really quickly. Um, I mean, we're we're seeing in the news, but we also know it locally, um, the local banks, have been absolutely wonderful. And they've been calling customers since last week and saying, hey, you know, we want you in line for this. We'll help you through it. And they've been, you know, letting us send in applications even before today was the official day. You know, and that's the difference with dealing with local bankers who we know and we see at church and we see in restaurants and we, you know, have face-to-face relationships with them. We don't have to do it online with Bank of America like so many people seem to be doing today. They said they'd already had $6 billion in um, applications this morning when they opened wow. it up at 9 a.m. Eastern. So, you know, in Amarillo, we've got, you know, Happy is doing it. Amarillo National Bank is doing it. First Bank Southwest is doing it. Lots of banks are doing this and helping their customers with it. And they are advising their customers, hey, do it quickly. You know, get in line it's first come first serve on these on the PPP loan in particular. And I know that that you mentioned the impact on your firm personally. I, I know that law firms are considered essential services, but what has been the impact just on how you and your team are doing business? Are you still in the office, or is anybody working from home? How does that work for you? Um, for us, what the first thing we did was say we weren't going to um, ask clients to come into the office. You know, we always prefer face-to-face meetings, but that's not healthy for anybody. So we stopped having clients come in. We have a, a office, lovely office, um, out on 45th between Coulter and Sancy, and we have very big offices, and we have always been very careful with the sanitizing and all that kind of stuff. And so we've kind of left it up to the employees. We are able to remote work. Um, we've looked at alternating days of who's in and who's out. Um, we've just tried to be very transparent with our staff and communicate a lot and say, you know, how's it going this week? What's happening? And it's interesting. This morning um, I was talking to our staff and I just asked them how they were doing. And they, they said we could use a day off because it has been not only crazy from work standpoint, but this is taking its emotional toll on everybody, regardless of whether they've got a job or not. You know, you may have 
your spouse is going to be facing a pay cut or you're just reading the news too much or, you know, you're, you're stuck in your home when you're not here. So there's an emotional toll on everybody, and we're trying to be real sensitive to that. So we, we definitely told everybody, hey, take a day off next week. Pick, pick whatever day it is you want and, you know, do what you need to do to take care of yourself. And Vicki, the last question I have for you is one that I've been asking most of my guests during this period, and it's what's one thing that's giving you hope or, or maybe sustaining a sense of optimism during this weird time? Well, there's a personal one and a work one. So personally for me, um, I'm a, my, my hobby is nature photography, and um, so I need to get outside to keep my mental health going. And, um, you know, if you haven't been to Paladura Canyon lately, nobody's going there now except for the local people. So <laughs> it's, you know, you have, to, you have to get a day pass online and pay your fees ahead of time and have a printout before you can get through the gates. But, um, gosh, once you're down there, you've got miles of open space with nobody else around and you know i spent 30 minutes taking pictures of a porcupine the other day and that sounds silly but it's very mindful you can't you can't focus on anything else when you're doing that so i wasn't on twitter i wasn't on the news i wasn't on facebook i wasn't worrying about anything i was just going wow porcupines are kind of cute um so that's what works for me personally Mm-hmm. For work, I'm I'm hopeful because Amarillo businesses have been v- very adamant about trying to do what's best for their employees. They've been looking out for their employees. And they're trying to make decisions that will help the business remain so the employees will have a job later, but also take care of them through this time. And I've seen a lot of grace and mercy um, from the businesses in Amarillo that I work with. All right, Vicki Wilmar, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. My name is Matt Morgan. I'm the Grants Program Officer for Emerald Area Foundation and the Don and Sybil Harrington Foundation. Matt, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate your time. Um, what's what's your current situation with Emerald Area Foundation and workflow? Are, are you guys all working from home at this point? Well, yeah, we've been working from home for a little over two weeks now. Um, we our normal programs that we normally run are all still underway, uh, obviously with some modifications, um, but all of the classes we teach, all of those things have been continued, I think, for the most part, just uh, virtually. And I know that the Emerald Area Foundation, I mean, of course, is, is very involved in the nonprofit sector, in grants, in um, all different ways of supporting this community. Um, tell me about some of the grants that that you've maybe instituted to help some of the local nonprofits get through this period. Sure. So about uh, 10 or 11 days ago, we opened the Panhandle Disaster Relief Fund, um, which was a fund that was originally started to answer needs that were caused by more natural disasters, fires, tornadoes, et cetera. Um, it's a fund we haven't uh, used very recently, but in opening that up, we've been taking applications from organizations all over the panhandle um, with needs related to this disease. So that's added, you know, quite a bit of, of work onto what we normally do. Um, but it's been really nice to see the response and, and how many folks are uh, being helped. Before we talk about how those funds might be distributed and, and where they might go, tell me a little bit about how you're actually funding those grants. I, mean, I know there probably was you know, some, some money in place, but have you begun reaching out to local businesses to, to kind of build that up? 
Yes, we have. So the, the first kind of uh, seed that was planted was through the Emerald Area Foundation um, in the amount of $200,000 that kind of started the fund. We have partnered with several local businesses, um, Emerald National Bank, Happy State Bank, um, a couple of churches, and the Bivens Foundation actually made a sizable gift as well. We have received um, anonymous funding from a foundation in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but that fund is also open to direct donors um, through our website. Um, so if someone is thinking, I would really love to help somebody, but it seems overwhelming, I don't know where to give my money, they can give to the Area Foundation to go into that fund, which will be granted out to nonprofits serving the entire panhandle. How do you then decide how to distribute that money? Is, is there an application process? There is an application. It's very simple. Um, we really are asking um, only for requests between $2,500 and $25,000. Um, the only thing the organizations have to fill out is a little bit of narrative on um, the impact that COVID-19 has had on their operations, um, increasing the demand for their services or adding new populations to the people that they have previously served. So a little narrative on that. Um, and then just contact information basically so that our staff can follow up with any clarification questions that might be needed. I think the entire application maybe takes 10 minutes to fill out. And what kind of timeline do you have for actual distribution once your staff decides, okay, this is, this is an organization that we're going to help. Uh, what's the process from that point? Sure. So we, we vet all of the applications and by vet, I just essentially mean that we make sure that the IRS is okay with us making a gift to that organization. We do that every Friday, um, and then we turn around on Mondays and make those decisions um, on funding. And then the Wednesday following that is when we are processing the checks or electronic funds transfer. So we are really moving from about Friday to Friday from application to funding. Okay, and I know with the the stimulus loans, um, the Paycheck Protection Program that the government is giving out, like there are conditions on that that people have to use it or nonprofits have to use it for payroll. Do you have any sort of stipulations on how these funds might be used if a nonprofit is a grant recipient? Sure. So we, we don't have stipulations wouldn't be the right word. We do have some priority areas that we're focusing on. Um, those would be... Um, child care for uh, first responders and essential workers, um, any direct kind of medical intervention that's either helping people who have already been diagnosed with this disease or um, preventing the spread of the disease any further. And then the last one would be uh, food insecurity issues. So uh, food programs or, um, uh, and a lot of organizations aren't known for their food programs, but that, that has typically been a very small part of what they do. Um, but because of this, it has become a very large part of what they're doing. So those three areas are really what we're focused on at the moment. Just anecdotally, have you heard from any local nonprofits? I mean, I, I know with a lot of people out of work or with their income, you know, diminished, are they starting to see a result in decreased giving or obviously an inability for volunteers to work? I mean, what are you hearing from the nonprofits in this area? Oh, uh, Absolutely. I, I think the the financial impact on 
area nonprofits has been um, dramatic to say the least. I, I've talked with four or five organizations that have told me that their individual donors um, have just stopped giving completely. And that could be um, loss of job. It could be economic hardships they're facing at home. Um, but it could also be, you know, folks are, I think, understandably tightening their own purse strings about um, saving money for the future or saving money for what could be potential medical costs for themselves. Um, another big impact that we're seeing, uh, especially this time of year, is this disease has caused either the cancellation or postponement of many significant fundraising events. Yeah. So organizations aren't being able to hold, say, their biggest event of the year, which is normally in April. Um, and I, I think, you know, we've done some nonprofit work together that April and October are the two probably busiest months in Amarillo for fundraising events. Right. And so the whole month of April is pretty much shot um, for most organizations. I know, Matt, that, um, you know, to, to take this from a, I guess, a professional perspective to a personal perspective, you know, you've been working from home, your your workflow has obviously changed. Um, given all that, you know, tumult in the area, what, what are some things that are personally giving you hope or, or making you optimistic about, you know, maybe how the community has responded or what you're seeing? Yeah, I, I think I've been really trying to find hope in simple things, um, you know, people mowing their yards, um, walking their dogs, you know, pushing kids in strollers. I think that that gives me hope because, you know, for those moments, um, life is going on. And even if, you know, our numbers here locally increase dramatically over the next few weeks, I think ultimately we're still <clears throat> hopefully looking at a small percentage of our population that's going to be affected by this. Um, I'm finding hope in right now in our uh, leadership uh, for me professionally, but also um, at our city level, I feel like measures have been taken that were appropriate. And and I, I really do find hope in people and in the simple things that you can see, I think, looking out the front window. Okay. Matt Morgan, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. My name is Paige Jones, and I'm a licensed professional counselor in Texas. I specialize in treating trauma and grief, as well as a specialty in using therapy uh, to treat insomnia rather than uh, medication. And my practice name is Fresh Page Counseling. I been a counselor for about five years now. Paige, thanks for being on the show. Um, mm -hmm. Before before we talk about some of uh, you know some of the mental health stuff that is appropriate to this moment, tell me about your practice right now. Have you um, have you had to stop seeing patients? Are you seeing patients online? How does that work for you? Um, well, they officially I could still be seeing clients um, in person. But because I want to help with the social distancing and I just feel like it's the right thing to do, I have moved my practice entirely online. Some people have wanted to move online and some people haven't, which is totally fine. I know that that different format can feel awkward for some people. And so um, 
So I, my numbers have dropped quite a bit, but um, uh, but I have also gotten a couple of new people who are in response to all the shutdown and stuff. They've been having some anxiety and so wanted to see somebody um, virtually. So, And that anxiety is certainly understandable at this moment. Yeah. Um, tell me, you know, from, from your perspective as a professional, as a counselor and Mm -hmm. someone who deals with grief and with trauma and with, um, you know, treating anxiety, what are some of the things that you find yourself thinking about or talking through with, with some of your clients right now? Um, well, I think that, you know, one thing that we don't always think about when something like this is happening is even if we haven't lost somebody personally um, yet to the COVID virus, um, this is an international trauma that's affecting everybody in the world. And when something like this happens, when any trauma happens, it brings up other traumas that we've gone through. And so um, it might feel kind of weird here in Amarillo where there hasn't been a huge, huge outbreak to feel a lot of anxiety, but it brings up other traumas that we've been through, other losses that we've been through. And um, especially people who are extroverted um, really, really grieve the loss of being able to hang out with people. And I think that's totally normal. Um, Even me, I'm probably like a hundred percent introverted if you're going to put it on a scale. Um, even I uh, have noticed how isolating it is to not see anybody in person. Well, and we, we tend to think about grief in terms of maybe a death of, of someone right. that we love, but, mm-hmm. but really there's a grief involved in any kind of loss. And so people have Absolutely. lost not just that social connection. Some people have lost, lost, you know, their mm-hmm. high school graduation or an event mm-hmm. that's coming up or, you know, they've lost a job. Yeah. And so all of us have lost something of significance just because our life has yeah. been upended. Absolutely. And, you know, that's something that um, I think it's really important um, from my perspective as a counselor for people to acknowledge um, those losses because, I think some people are um, hesitant, like if it's just a birthday party, for example, um, then, well, I have a birthday party every year. I don't know why I'm so upset about this birthday party, Um, but it's okay to acknowledge the grief that comes with, you know, not being able to celebrate in the way that you wish you could. And certainly kids that, um, are losing the rest of their school year, seniors, um, even eighth graders that are kind of in a transitory period. And um, it's totally worth it and necessary to acknowledge those losses because we want to um, tell our, I mean, this is my getting a little bit scientific, I guess, but the tell our brains that what we're experiencing has been acknowledged and we can grieve that and that that's okay. And that actually does help calm the anxiety a little bit. Beyond those steps of acknowledgement, which 
which mm-hmm. I think are, are, are super important. Are, are there any other mm-hmm. techniques or approaches or, or something that you might recommend to people as a way to, to deal with the anxiety of the moment, to deal with you know, being cooped up in their homes? I mean, all the different things that are producing tension in our lives right now. What, what are some suggestions mm-hmm. you have? Um, well, I would suggest taking a minute every day to just kind of be mindful of what you're going through. It's totally normal if you're cooped up with a family to be kind of irritated with them because you're with them 24-7 all of a sudden. And to kind of be mindful of those feelings and then to just kind of ground yourself. And there's a lot of ways that you can do that. Um, probably the easiest one to explain um, is to use all your senses. And it kind of brings you back into your body just to look around the room and say, you know, describe to yourself what you're seeing, hearing, feeling, if you're tasting anything and what you can touch. And that kind of grounds you to the moment. Um, Anxiety lives in the brain space in the future world, depression lives in the past world. And um, if we can ground ourselves to the present moment, to our present surroundings, it, it really helps um, ease those feelings. They, and they probably won't go away completely because we're going through it right now. And so it's really important for people to be easy on themselves and to know that it's okay to feel some bumps along the way. You're not going to be able to get rid of feelings completely. Um, we don't want to be robots and to go ahead and feel that anxiety a little bit because there is anxiety in the air. And just to kind of acknowledge that, but to ground yourself in the present moment so that you're um, experiencing the moment instead of uh, worrying about all the future moments. And, you know, I've done some videos. um, I'm posting a lot of videos of other people who are doing grounding things. I think if people can find maybe a yoga video they like, that's a very grounding and calming thing. If people are into meditation or mindfulness, that's another really um, grounding and uh, powerful thing to to do in these moments. Paige, if somebody wanted to reach out to you as a mental health professional, um, how, how would they get in touch? Um, they can call my business number, which is 806-316-5131. Um, or they can find my Facebook page, which is just under my name, Paige Jones. And then they'll want to look for the one with the M-A-L-P-C after it and they can find my business information on there. I'm doing virtual appointments, and I definitely don't think that that's as awesome as in-person ones um, myself, but um, but I kind of think this is a great time to work on yourself because you're trapped at home anyway, and it's a great time to kind of work on those things that are coming up because they already are coming up. And so um, it's not like uh, therapy is going to bring them up anymore. So we can work on it together. And I really, really like that aspect of people who are reaching out in this moment. 
And Paige, one of the questions I've been asking every guest is, what is something that's been giving you hope, you know, over the last few weeks? What's a, a source of optimism in your life? Um, you know, I listen to your podcast and um, I've heard this one before, but um, it's really how the community has been coming together and other people are just helping other people. You know, there's uh, a lot of posts on Facebook like, hey, I'm looking for this or that. And then people are reaching out and to complete strangers and um, to see that side of people is something that it's been a while since I've seen very much of that. And it's really nice to see how this has brought out that generous and kind side of people. All right, Paige Jones, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Jason. This is Chris Seals. I'm the co-founder and CEO of the Austin Whiskey Company. Chris, thanks for being on the show. Uh, I know you've had a lot of demands on your time. Um, and I, I want to talk about some of the stuff that Still Austin is doing, but knowing that you have been dividing your time, you know, in the, the past few weeks between living in Amarillo and living in Austin, um, can you give me just a, a quick idea of, of some of the differences between the two communities that, that you're aware of in terms of timing and all that stuff? Sure. Um, well, you know, like Austin was one of the first cities to begin to react because we had South by Southwest um, uh, coming up. And it, it was, of course, you know, we have, we have um, you know, literally millions of people that come to Austin during March and uh, for South by Southwest. And uh, so the city uh, stepped in and the county stepped in and, and canceled that. And it really kind of sent a shockwave through Austin. Everyone all of a sudden was like, how can that be? This kind of feeling of like shock that we've been feeling for the last month. Uh, Austin may have been kind of some of the, one of the, you know, kind of the early edge of that. Yeah. It was before any of the shelter in place uh, orders were coming out. And we at Still Austin had to make a really hard decision to decide to cancel our 50 bands in five days event and kind of a lot of our events that we do to support local uh, musicians and, and uh, our local community, which I think we'll probably eventually get those things rescheduled once things, uh, you know, get better. But, um, you know, it's kind of different seeing things there versus seeing things in Amarillo. Um, you know, like uh, the, the first cases in Austin happened before the first cases in Amarillo. Um, it, it's kind of a trickle of information. And I know like uh, UT Austin put out a forecast of what they of what they expect the number of infections to be in Austin. That's pretty staggering. Um, uh, that was kind of my shock for the end of the week last week. Um, and unfortunately, I think it's kind of likely to be something similar everywhere. And so I think that it's given um, like one thing I think is good is that you know as this thing spreads, Amarillo has an opportunity to take faster action now than uh, some of the bigger cities did um, early on. Uh, what, I mean, what we're seeing now in Amarillo is very similar to Austin today. Yeah. Uh, you know, essential employees are, are doing their jobs and families are taking care of themselves and everybody's trying to take care of first responders and everybody's doing everything they can to support and try to be as positive as possible. And, you know, we're all kind of scared if we're a small business owner and we're scared, we're scared if we're in Amarillo and we're scared if we're in Austin. So. Yeah. I feel like now things are kind of leveling out. Well, I know that uh, that your business did a, a fairly quick 
you know, transition, um, you know, from from the whiskey and the the bourbon that you've been producing, but going to hand sanitizer and, and bulk quantities of that. So tell me a little bit about how that happened and how that's possible with you. Right. You know, I didn't dream of starting a hand sanitizer business. That was <laughs> never my my hope and dream. You're not but, one of those hand sanitizer aficionados that just wants to make it at home. <laughs> I'm not. Um, <clears throat> but what we were seeing was um, as things began to change, I was asked to join a small group uh, of people that were responding to this crisis as part of the American Craft Spirits Association. And uh, as we began to see kind of what was happening, um, we worked really closely with our regulator, which is the TTB, as well as the FDA, to look at are there ways that distilleries who produce the main ingredient that goes into hand sanitizer could legally produce it. And literally three weeks ago, that would have been practically impossible or if possible would have taken six months at a minimum to get the approvals to do it. Right. But, um, just the responsiveness of everyone, uh, the number of different wavings of regular regulations, and I, I can't even begin to explain how many. Um, now distilleries are allowed to produce and distribute hand sanitizer to support their communities. And um, it, it's still changing a little bit day by day uh, what we're able to do or allowed to do. But we started off at Still Austin forming quickly a partnership with the city of Austin and Travis County emergency response for COVID-19. And what we had was alcohol and we could make hand sanitizer in bulk. What they had was all sorts of suppliers everywhere that could get bottles and they could set up a dispensary to be able to get hand sanitizer to the places where it's needed most and they became the single point of contact for the three hospital systems uh, it, that mean hospital systems in Austin, as well as first responders and essential employees and uh, communities that are at risk. And so we felt they knew how to get this where it was needed most. And what we could really do is produce the product. We, we could legally do that and we can uh, transfer it. So we started that that way. And uh, that that was great. It's been it's been a wonderful partnership, and uh, it's kind of funny. Like um, I've, I've now seen some bottles floating around that say "Still Austin Hand Sanitizer" on them, and we didn't even put that label on there ourselves. <laughs> there was the city of Austin that did just that. Just giving you credit. Uh, yeah, they gave us credit for it. So, um, so that has been kind of how we got started. We have received. Um, and then at just a tidal wave, literally, of requests. And they're like, uh, we're, we're trying to kind of route them as best we can. There is an enormous need for hand sanitizer from everything from the U.S. Postal Service to, um, uh, you know, people working directly with COVID patients who don't have access to hand sanitizer to, uh, you know, people that, 
uh, our first responders and are going into unknown situations and have no protection whatsoever. And they're, they're the ones getting calls about, you know, I think I'm sick. Yeah. And so, um, it's, it's kind of emotional, honestly, like seeing how many people are in need. Um, and so we, we, and we continue to like today, I think I got like seven or eight big requests from folks needing hand sanitizer. And so, uh, what we've decided that we're going to do is, uh, we're going to continue to provide in bulk for free to the city of Austin to continue that partnership. And then we're going to also, uh, starting, uh, sometime next week, uh, make it available for free to anyone who wants to come by and pick it up at the tasting room. Uh, we're going to accept donations to help continue to make more. Uh, but it'll be available. I think we'll have like a limit, a certain amount per person, but there's so many people that, you know, if you're an essential employee, you probably interact with the public. Yeah. And so we're going to do that. And then, um, just continue to look for like any way that we can support. We've also been working with a couple of pharmacies. Uh, one of the really cool things, a lot of pharmacies, I mean, they know how to, this is an over the counter drug. They know how to make it. And so with them, we've been supplying them with just the bulk alcohol. And then they may have, I think they have the containers and other stuff that's in short supply right now. It's the whole supply chain is in complete disruption even getting access to some of the ingredients for hand sanitizer, like the there's some denaturants you're supposed to use, you know, some of those just are really hard to get right now. And so when we're out or we don't have them, a lot of times they might, so we can provide one of the ingredients. It's hard to get. They have the others. They can produce it and serve their communities. And uh, we, we formed a Texas oncology partnership as well to be able to do that through their pharmacies. What kind of quantities are you able to produce, um, you know, at Still Austin? Well, you know, that seems to be changing day by day as well. Um, we, we normally produce, uh, on a typical day, about 500 gallons of high-proof alcohol. And that comprises about 93% of what goes into hand sanitizer. 500 gallons seems like a ton to me. It is a good amount, um, but it's uh, it's also uh, one of these that the, the problems that we have are we not everything that we're producing right now is going to hand sanitizer unless we have all the other ingredients on hand. Right. So whatever we have, when when we get in enough of the other ingredients, the glycerin and hydrogen peroxide, which is not too hard to find, and the and the uh, packaging then we will we'll make it up. Or anytime the city of Austin comes over with, they, they have a couple of drums that they bring over and we fill them. We just provide the supply uh, as they need it and as we're able to, to produce it. So we think probably in a week or two here, we'll be able to produce a good bit more. We're right, we're, right now we're kind of working on a forecast of what we could produce. So we've got so many people asking for it. You know, I'm sure that eventually... I'm an economist, like supply and demand. One, at one point, there'll be the supply will return, and we can kind of redirect to making whiskey. Uh, but I think it might be a little while, just because of the disruptions in the supply chain from all this crisis. Okay, and 
the the last question I wanted to ask you is, you know, is one that I've been asking other guests, and it's what's giving you hope right now. So I, I know you've your business model has had to change a little bit. You uh, are are just doing so many different things than you used to be doing. Is there anything about this process that maybe has given you some optimism? I am super encouraged by everything that I see around me. I probably cry like it's a day of something that I see that someone is doing for someone else, something that someone's doing just to be positive. You know, I kind of see it like a little bit on social media, kind of like a lot of people. It feels honestly awesome. We're in a kind of a unique position. Not many people are able to do what we're able to do. And so I see like a huge level of pride, like across our team, just to be able to do something to help out uh, in such a direct way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is pretty inspiring. Just seeing how people feel about who we are, what we believe in. Uh, yeah, our business model has changed a little bit right now, but uh, our values haven't changed one bit. And we've always believed in doing the right thing. And we've always believed in supporting our community. And this is the one way that we can do it that's the most effective right now. And it, and it feels like you're actually, you know, doing something that's helping to save lives. Yeah. And so it's it just to be part of a team that is come together because of those shared beliefs and be able to live out of those beliefs right now in this way. I mean, it's just pretty awesome. All right. Chris Seals, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. And that concludes the episode. First, thanks to my guests who carved out time for the interview. Thanks, as always, to Angelina Marie for editing the podcast. Every week, I send out a weekly email newsletter at bit.ly slash newsletter. That's B-I-T dot L-Y. Uh, if you're interested in it, sign up. The show is made possible every week thanks to my executive producers, Joshua Rafe, Jess Heredia, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Ryan Pennington, Corey Burns, Neil Nossiman, Jennifer Callahan, Chris Selda, Patrick Burns, and Josh Wood. You can be one of those names, too, by supporting the show financially through patreon.com slash heyamorello. This has been episode 135. My name is Jason Boyette. Stay safe. Stay home. Love your neighbor.